You're listening to Industry Iowa, presented by Cirrus, the Center for Industrial Research and Service. Here's your host, Stephen Wilson. Well, as I like to say, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and uh, whenever you're listening to the Industry Iowa podcast, uh, my name is Steve Wilson, and I am the host of the Industry Iowa podcast, and we, of course, are a podcast of Cirrus which is the Center for Industrial Research and Service. And uh, glad to have you listening today. Guest here today with us um, is, a, 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 as of many things, a fellow podcaster. So we're going to be uh, giving a, a shout out to his podcast as well. Uh, but Kyle Rode, Kyle uh, currently serves as the VP of Global Human Resources for CPM Holdings. He's the founder and the host of Rebel Human Resources podcast, also the co-founder of Disrupt HR, an information exchange designed to energize, inform, and empower people in the HR field. Uh, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, what, what better time that people need energize, inform, and empower in the HR field, uh, <laughs> those individuals that are currently doing that. And one of the other reasons that we're having uh, Kyle on the show today is he's going to be speaking at the May 17th Ivy Sales Innovation Summit which is being held on the campus of Iowa State uh, University. And this year's summit's gonna focus on building sales talent and maximizing technology, uh, two key priorities for all growing companies. And uh, just a a great event for sales leaders, HR professionals, other executives. Besides uh, Kyle, we're gonna have Dan Houston, who's the president and CEO of Principal Financial Group, and also Michael Connell, speaker and former ISU football captain. So, Kyle, that brings us to you. Welcome to the Industry <laughs> Iowa Podcast. Steve, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. How does it feel to be on the other side, right? Yeah, it's a lot more threatening. You know, it's <laughs> nice to just be able to ask questions and then and and not have to have any content yourself. So we're we're gonna we're gonna get a little taste of my own medicine here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've grown around. I found out what are some tough questions that I can ask Kyle. And, no. <laughs> No, none of the uh, none of the gotchas. So, give us a little bit of background. I know, as we talked about, we've got uh, similar interests, and we're involved in a lot of different things. But uh, just talk, let the folks know, um, kind of who you are, and what's what's your passion behind what you do. Absolutely, well, I appreciate the opportunity again, and and you know, all kidding aside, I absolutely love talking about this stuff. And and so for me, it's been a fascination with with two key areas uh, of the world one of those being human behavior uh, so what better place to study human behavior than uh, within an organization's human resources department because people are fascinating <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and so are the kind of the psychological and sociological uh, implications of organizations and the way that organizations behave and the way that that organizations thrive and struggle uh it, it's all about human behavior and you know that's that is uh that is what makes organizations tick is is people right that's what organizations are so that's that's been a fascination and then especially recently you know it, it's been really a, a, a kind of an, an unyielding desire to understand how innovation occurs and really stay focused on disruption and you know, I, I love the the saying, and this is how I live my life, and that's you know that change is the only constant, and mm-hmm. so and and being being prepared and and kind of and 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 innovative as it relates to change processes in general for me is is fascinating, and that's that's really what we focus on at, at Disrupt HR and at, at Rebel HR, 
uh, and within my organization as a global organization, you know, th these are just the realities of the of the paradigm within uh, which we operate. And so uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, throwing up our hands and saying, well, we don't know what's happening. Let's try to figure out system strategies and approaches to manage through some of these disruptions uh, in, a, in a positive way. And that's that's kind of really what, what my whole life's been about. Um, you know, I, outside of the W2 world, uh, I get very active in the nonprofit space and I uh, spent a lot of time focusing on on inclusion uh, within my local community and helping uh, uh, individuals uh, achieve their highest uh, goals and highest and best use. And uh, and daycare uh, has been a big passion. It's been a really big barrier for our workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, a few years ago, we founded a daycare center. So that's that's another thing that I do in my free time, which is very plentiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, free time. Uh, let's say uh, otherwise uh, unoccupied time uh, <laughs> yeah. that you have there. Yeah, in the organization, how long have you been with CPM? I've been here five years now. So five years, and of course, I would assume that you've seen, even though it's been a relatively short amount of time, <laughs> tremendous changes in the HR environment. Correct? Absolutely. Well, well, let's let you know if I if I have like a bingo chart of all the stuff that's happened in the last five years in my world, you know, it's everything from, you know, social unrest. Um, you know, uh, there, there's been a, a significant amount of, of regulatory changes on the landscape, things like, um, you know, uh, EEOC changes. There's been some court case uh, rulings. There's, um, you know, now we're talking about employee agreements potentially being being non-enforceable, you know, all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, you know, something I don't know if anybody remembers this thing called COVID ha happened a few years ago. We happen to have my organization has a location in Wuhan, China. Uh, so that, you know, that was a, a, a unique and, and challenging, <laughs> uh, opportunity. And then, you know, and then this transition from, from, uh, relatively in-person work to, to primarily, uh, virtual work for, uh, positions that have desks, uh, has been, has been, uh, pretty fascinating to, to navigate as well. But, you know, as, a, and as a manufacturer headquartered in Iowa, um, you know, it's, all of this is happening in the in uh you know in a really unique environment um that you don't hear about on the on the you know five o'clock news <laughs> so it's been fun it's been an exciting time no you don't you know I, I was driving in i'm in here in cedar rapids and i was driving in this morning driving uh south down to to my office and i looked over and there was this uh this this cloud system and I took a picture of it because it looked like mountains. And it's like, those are the only mountains that were sitting here <laughs> yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, if anybody ever says there's no mountains in Iowa, I can I can show them that uh, that picture. But yeah, we have a very unique environment here. I know the workforce, very, very low unemployment. Uh, and now, yeah. again, you're going to be speaking at the, um, the Ivy Sales uh, Innovation Summit. Again, that's on May 17th. Uh, being held on the campus of Iowa State University, and registration closes at the end of next week. So I do want to encourage listeners to go out there. You can go out to www.ivbusiness.iastate.edu and uh, get registered for that. Um, I know you're going to be talking about uh, sales. That's that's obviously the the uh, the focus there. But sales HR, um, as you look at the changes and things going on within our own environment, uh, very, very low uh, unemployment. How is that affecting even the the, the sales, hiring of, of sales individuals? And I know your focus is not only recruiting them, but retaining them, engaging them. What are some of the uh, the impacts and things that you're seeing? 
Absolutely. So, you know, the, the first thing I'll say is I'm extremely excited to be talking at the summit. It's an honor to, to share the stage uh, with, with the speakers and, 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 and to address some of the, the attendees. Um, you know, side note, we do a ton of recruiting out of Iowa State, um, you know, largely technical organization. But a lot of our sales uh, individuals, about 33% of our organization is comprised of sales folks. Many of them are very technical in nature. Um, and, uh, and, and it's kind of a fascinating, it's, it's really difficult to, to, uh, to find kind of the right fit just because of the nature of the work and product that we sell at CPM. Um, but as, but as you look at the work that I do and, you know, in, in, you know, I think about it in a couple different, couple different kind of contexts here. So first of all, sales talent is the same as all talent, right? But, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's slightly different in the behaviors, mannerisms, attitudes, approaches that, that individuals like to take. And a lot of it is really nuanced based upon your your organization and what you're selling and how you sell, what your culture is. But I think about it in three big buckets. So it's it's attracting talent, engaging talent, and then retaining talent. And you know, the if you this is really simple, but if you hit all three all three buckets, you're gonna win, right? Like it's not, it's really, you know, a lot of times we make it really, really complex, like, oh, you know, how to just don't know what to do, kind of you know, bang our head against the wall. Like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's take a deep breath. You know, get the right people, get them working on the right things, and keep them. It that's that's really as complicated as it needs to be. But but how we do that is 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 where the the rubber meets the road. And so, you know, as, as far as the attraction is concerned, you know, we're we're going to be talking a lot about how do you find the right fit. What does that even mean? You know, how, how do you how do you get people to understand exactly what it's actually like to work at your organization so that you don't have these false starts or people who come in with these like these these grandiose expectations of the job and then realize, oh, you mean I'm going to be driving from farm to farm doing cold sales to try to get somebody to purchase this specific product? I'm not saying that's what we do at CPM, but that if that's what your organization does, don't tell them you're going to be, you know, working from home five days a week and you're going to be kicking your feet back and, you know, you know driving digital sales strategies. No, you're <laughs> boots on the ground, right? The, so we're going to be talking about kind of how to how to do that. Most importantly, though, like you can hire great people, but it doesn't matter if you don't keep them and you don't leverage them fully. So we're going to be spending most of our time talking about how do you how do you engage folks and how is that different for for the typical sales profile? You know, uh, everybody's a little bit different, you know, but and, and you really can't use the same strategy that you use for people who have different aspirations, motivations and abilities. You have to be a little bit targeted with how you approach engagement and, and there's different levers for different people. So much of that comes down to leadership. So what are the kind of the leadership capabilities and tactics that you need to use to truly engage? What's the ROI of engagement? Because there is a true dollars and cents ROI to engagement. And then ultimately, once you engage that talent, once they start rocking and rolling, how do you keep them, right? Because it, it you know, it's great if you train somebody up, you get them going uh, on all cylinders and they're they're doing a wonderful job for you. But if they leave, then you've just, you, you know, that's just, that's all that sunk cost that you just, you just let leave the organization. So, so how do you truly retain uh, individuals? And again, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I talk about is it sounds like common sense and and nothing about the world of human resources is truly that complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, you know, from my standpoint, um, you know, people, people ask me what my job is, you know, my kids, they wonder, well, what do you do all day? I'm like, well, I just make sure that people are. Yeah, I get the right people. I get them working really hard on the right things, 
and I make sure they don't leave. And that, you know, it sounds so simple, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> but it's like, it's easy, but that doesn't, or it's simple, but that doesn't mean that it's easy, right? So it's, it's yeah. how do we, what are the tactics and, and approaches that we can actually make these things work? And how do we find kind of that unique value proposition at each organization within each leadership uh, tactic to try to drive those, those strategies home? Uh, so, so we'll be talking all about that and, and all of this in the context of how do we do this in the state of Iowa, right? Because that's that's really what what we're going to be talking about as it relates to that summit. So um, all good stuff. Kyle, how, how important is um, employer branding in attracting talent? And I would assume, so, and I think I, I think about that too in the context because I uh, looking back, uh, you know, just just some of the uh, the cheat sheets. Uh, you know, we we had a conversation. Kyle and I had a conversation. Uh, maybe it was uh, yesterday. I think it might have been. But uh, you're saying you are. This is you're saying. I'm the person that's trying to sell the dream to the employees, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, along that line, how important is branding? <laughs> yeah, the term I use. So I consider myself. I'm like the corporate evangelist. That's my job, right? Like I'm trying to convince external people that it's a great place to work. And I'm trying to convince my my internal employees, this is a great place to work. You, you don't, the, the grass is not greener, right? Which sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. Yeah. But from my standpoint, so the, the reality is you have an employer brand, whether you realize it or not. It's just that certain organizations have figured out how to control that narrative and certain organizations let the narrative happen to them. And what what we use in the HR space, kind of the 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 really big buzzword that we use is EVP, which stands for Employer Value Proposition, and it's it really is foundational to employer branding, and it's it's foundational to more importantly the employee experience because it is it is the context from which you operate. So it's it's what your business currently offers. It's what are the qualities of your ideal employees. So like, like, what are the people that I work with like, you know, and are they, you know, do, do they fit the organization that I want to work with? Right? Like, do, you know, is it a dog eat dog competitive environment? I might like that. You know, I might be a, a, a former athlete and I just love, you know, give me, give me a competition. I'm going to fight to win. Or do I completely hate the idea of being in competitive environment and I want to be in a purely collaborative environment where there are no winners or losers? There's just people, you know, synergizing and whatever buzzwords you want to think about, you know, towards a common goal. It depends. You know, how, how do you understand your employees' wants and needs? How, and then how do you cater that towards towards your candidates, but also towards your your employees? And then how do you communicate that? And all those things, they really are they're very foundational to driving the culture that you want, as well as helping people stay aligned with your mission, your vision, and your values in a way that that you can actually manage within. If you don't control all those things, um, it, it's really, really hard. It, it really is. And that's that's been a lot of the work that I've had to do at CPM is taking, taking what was a very disjointed uh, EVP and creating it, creating something that people can actually rally around um, and 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 be proud to work uh, work at the organization. So it, it very important. And you know, the other thing I would say too is think about it like this: like 
An employer value proposition sounds fan. It's fun. It's fun. I like. I love corporate buzzwords. Like I love like corporate buzzword bingo. Like we could do this all day mm-hmm. long and and right. and say nothing, right? But so <laughs> right. so to to dumb it down to, to like dumb it down to like so that it actually makes sense to people like me. Like an employer value proposition, you should think about it like this: like, do I want to work? Do I like working for this company? Do I feel good working for this company? And do I feel good working with my coworkers every day? Right. And it, and if those two things exist in general, it's all good. Right. You're, you're not going to be miserable. You're not going to be looking for for different work. You know, even if your job sucks sometimes, which every job does, mm-hmm. if you feel good about the company you work for and the people you work with in general, it's, it's all going to be all right. Right. You'll get through that because, you know, mm-hmm. you've got you, you feel good about the broader mission and vision of what you're doing. So one of the things that uh, that. You've also uh, stated there, and, and you don't like the phrase "best practices," right? <laughs> you you yep. prefer. What do you like to say instead of that? <laughs> yeah. So, and what's the story behind that? Yeah. So we had a pre we had a pre meeting, and and I, I started get I went on off one of my tangents, which is you know I'm pretty good at that. But the <laughs> I hate the term "best practice" because. I first of all, I come from a CI background, right? So you know, lean manufacturing, Toyota production system, uh, you know, what whatever system you're operating within. Um, like, if you define anything as best, that means you're done. There's yeah. no more. Once you've figured out something is the best, there is no more progress to be made, and that's just not the world we live in, right? We live in a progressive world, a progressive society, progressive organization. There's always a new and better way to do something. And so I prefer the term better practice. And and because the and, and that terminology really does matter and the words you use matter because what we're saying by that is we're saying, well, we've got a practice that works appropriately right now. And it's better than what we used to do. So it's progressive. But but that doesn't mean that it's that's all we're ever gonna do, right? And once we set up these systems and structures, we have to be willing to go in and break them down and rebuild them when they aren't working anymore. So I'll use a great example here. How many people used to think that attendance point systems were best practices, right? And and they, the answer to that question is a ton of organizations because it became very, very prevalent, especially in the manufacturing sector, a number of years ago that this was, you know what, this is consistent. We won't get sued. It's going to work. People understand it. Well, uh, newsflash, um, many of them suck, <laughs> including one that I had at a previous organization. It was it was such a best practice that we changed it seven times in six years. If that tells you anything about that quote, best practice, right? So yeah. the question, but the question that we finally had to ask ourselves was what what good is this doing? Like the, all these attendance systems and structures that we think are wonderful, what is it actually doing? And so we we took a really good hard look at the data, and we we went through and we we and we had all this data, big data at our fingertips. It was wonderful. We felt really good. We were going to figure out. We were going to do you know a little bit of analysis and figure out okay, what was the actual attendance impact from this policy versus that policy versus that policy? Um, it, do you want to guess like g- give me an over under on like the the standard deviation from policy to policy of the attendance incidents do you, do you want to take a guess uh, i'm sure it was it was i mean it was not a it did not reflect that it was successful let's put it that way <laughs> well here here's here's the funny thing so we took this analysis and we looked at this data and we looked at it year over year over year and it was like we literally saw like within a standard deviation it was like a 1.25 to like a 1.5 and it fluctuated 
yeah. uh, like year over year. And that was it. Like there, there was like that was the attendance, like the the voluntary absenteeism rate that we saw. That and we were like, okay. But then you know what we looked at? We looked at turnover rates, yeah. and the turnover rates with certain policies were absolutely atrocious, and turnover rates with other policies were significantly better. And we said, you know what matters a whole lot more than these these like attendance incidents that that fluctuate randomly? Turnover. So let's pick the policy that that drives the lowest turnover. And guess what that did? It threw us a whole lot more stability into our system, right? So it's like, so that's where it's like, well, we think that we've got these best practices. The reality is there's always a better way to do it, but you've got to be open-minded on on the things that you measure, how you measure them, and 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 what actually matters to your organization. Turns out retention was a whole hell of a lot bigger deal than that absenteeism rate we were trying to fix. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the term disruptor. You've got it uh, in your, uh, you know, disrupt HR, uh, rebel human resources, right? Rebel. I mean, that's that. That's another uh, a descriptor for uh, for a disruptor. So when we think about it in terms of HR, I mean, there's policies, there's regulations. You can't be, you can't be disrupting these systems. You can't be disrupting these long-held uh, traditions. Um, what is what does it look like? What is that meant for you? And one of the things that we've seen is we're going out and, and, and working with organizations uh, across the state of Iowa is that um, organizations have to look at hiring, retaining, all of those things differently than they have in years past. Right. Because right. the same things are not working. I had one organization, I think they, uh, uh, they thought that, gee, we, we, had, a, we, had, a, we had a cookout and, uh, and we, uh, we bought everybody a, a 12-pack of soda. Um, it's like, uh-huh. okay, it's a great start, but that's not sufficient enough. So talk so, uh, to us about the power of disruption and, and what that means within the HR industry. For some of my employee population, if it was a 12 pack of Bush light, that would work, but <laughs> not, not, not the, not the international group. Um, no, all kidding aside. So, you know, I, I love the I love the approach of, of of looking at disruption in the context of change. Now, one side note, the rebel HR thing. So it does. It sounds like really like a reverent, like like, you know, fist in the air. But the reality is I'm a huge nerd. So it's actually Star Wars, the rebels in Star Wars fighting against the evil empire. But I don't I don't. Well, now it's broadcast, but I don't usually broadcast that. I like to think it's cooler than that. But it it, it really comes from a standpoint of being a, a big nerd. But um, but I, you know, one of the, one of the words that you use that I, I'm going to focus on, and that was traditions, right? And, and I think about, I think about disruption like this, like disruption is happening, period, like it exists. So we can either think of it as a bad thing, or we can think about it as an opportunity. And I think about it in the context of an opportunity. And I, I prefer to kind of maintain an abundance mindset that everything that happened that we didn't expect is an opportunity for us to respond and reflect and make something better in the future. And and I think about disruption in the in the in the approach that it, it needs to be consumable for an organization to manage, right? So you can't just like like in human resources you can't be like, well forget it, we're just going to throw everything out. We just throw throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're just going to disrupt everything and we're going to shake the bed, see what happens and and hope that the organization is still standing. Well, no. You you disrupt in a way that that makes sense, and and the way in my experience that you can do that is by incremental disruption. So, like I mentioned, that attendance policy, right? One one policy was not working, and we identified it wasn't working, so we went in and we changed it. 
and we changed it for the better. And then we monitored it and we continued to, to disrupt that policy a little bit here and there. But the reality is that many of the systems that we operate in within human resources are 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. And is anybody doing anything in any other sector of business that has been happening for 40, 50, 60, 70 years? You know, there's there's many areas of business that didn't even exist <laughs> back mm -hmm. then. Here, here's an example. If you have a job posting right now, what are you doing with it? Are you going and are you putting it in a newspaper? And you're hoping that somebody flips through the classified ads and randomly stumbles across the, the newspaper ad that you put in there. In some cases, people are still doing that. They are typically not going to be successful with individuals that do not consume their information in that way anymore. So it's it's being open to the disruption that the Internet caused, you know, 20 plus years ago and and trying to be nimble you know here's a here's a new disruptor that just existed that just began existing in recent history ai mm -hmm. what is that going to do to our industry well i can tell you right now that every single automated process that can be automated through ai will be automated within my department because it makes sense for me to take some of these administrivia and and give them to something a system that i've that i've developed by the way that will make sure that I don't have to pay somebody to sit here and do these like really tedious tasks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, something like if somebody needs an, let's say somebody needs needs an answer for who do I call if I have a question about a healthcare claim. Well, I don't need my person paid, you know, eighty five thousand dollars a year in my benefits department to be answering that question for somebody that they can type into a chat box and get the answer like that um, that I just loaded it in. Right. So it's 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 things like that. Like these are just like common sense disruptions that we just need to be working on. So that's that's one of my big, big focuses. But the other thing that I will say is the the other big challenge that I think our organizations are facing right now is we need to be very, very aware of the fact that this world does not look like it used to. And that includes that the demographics of our world are not what they used to be either. Mm -hmm. So many of the system structures and programs and protocols that exist are made for people that look like me. They are people who were born in Iowa, have very low melatonin levels in their skin, and have assimilated within the, the system that they were raised within. Well, the reality is that population growth in Iowa is mostly new Iowans. Mm -hmm. Many people are moving away from Iowa that were born and raised here. And so organizations that can't figure out the diversity question are going to be struggling in a big way as well. And so that's a lot of the work uh, that, that I have the opportunity to do as a global organization is understand the cultural nuances that exist around the world that are not within Iowa, and how do we adopt these inclusive practices into the organization in a way that makes sure that people are feeling comfortable in their workplace, psychologically safe in the workplace, and feel a true sense of belonging in the workplace? Again, all these things reinforce the uh, the engagement and retention of employees and attraction. So, you know, we're talking about a sales summit. Well, the other thing too, like we all, all we talk about customer funnels, we talk about sales funnels, we talk about marketing funnels. We need to talk about talent funnels. It's mm -hmm. a really simple question. Look at the math. Where is the demographic growth occurring? Where's the biggest opportunity? Where's the highest unemployment? And and there's an opportunity to go to go shake that tree and find people in that talent funnel. So it's 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 no different than any other sales strategy. It's just you're you're looking at selling your company and hiring the right people. No different than you're trying to do customer acquisition. 
What's some of the feedback pushback you receive uh, on that? Or are you finding an openness, a willingness to? Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. I know where you're going with this, Steve. Here's the thing. Nobody freaking knows, right? Like, like everybody is struggling with talent right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I and and you spend your time in this world. I spend I spend so much time sitting in this work workforce world. Everybody just wants the answer. Yeah. Well, the answer is there is no right answer to the problem other than we need more people trained to do the jobs that we need. There, there is a supply demand issue. So, you know, we, we could sit here on our hands and say, well, let's just keep doing the same thing and, and hope that, you know, hope that this referral bonus gets us all these people we need. We could just start paying everybody crazy amounts of money, which is already starting to occur. Mm -hmm. Or we could think innovatively and say, okay, if we don't have this pool of people, then we need to go create our own pool or we need to fish in a different pool, right? Like, like we could argue with reality or we could just create our own reality. And that's that's the paradigm uh, with which in I'm working within. I haven't got much pushback because the <laughs> honestly, here's here's the deal. If you hire somebody you hire somebody to do a job and they do that job extremely well, regardless of whatever demographic or, or background they possess, mm -hmm. their coworkers will be happy and the managers will be happy. So that's that. If you keep it that simple and you just hire great people, then there's really not a big issue. <laughs> right. Now you've had, you've had experience in uh, building an HR department from scratch. So what are, um, better practices as we begin to <laughs> wind down here what are better practices uh for an organization that again maybe is is either relatively new uh has a uh, very small hr department uh, yep. or just is recognizing we need to shift yeah so and i you know i've had the fortunate um you know, opportunity to work for very large organizations and see all of these kind of these like fortune 50 fortune 30 best practices um, and then I, I brought that into my organization now, which is a you know mid-sized privately owned company. And and when I started, it was me and one amazing human being who was who started managing payroll for sixty people and was managing payroll for over five hundred when I got there. And she she was the quote HR person. I, Darla, shout out, you're amazing, and she's still here and she's she's doing amazing work. Um, but the, the so the reality is though for those organizations that don't have these unlimited budgets they 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 aren't you know at the size or breadth of, of my current organization the reality is you've got to force prioritization you you have to have the prioritization discussion and it's I, I think about it in, in the con in in two different categories you know if you think about it like a four box what is on on one axis it's cost and on one axis it's impact. And you've got to think about, okay, what are the low cost, high impact things that I need to get done from a human relations perspective? You know, I think about it like blocking and tackling, like what's the non-negotiables? Make sure people are paid fairly. Make sure people are paid on time. Make sure people trust you and respect your organization and make sure people like the people they work with. And if some issue comes up, then you address it appropriately, you manage it with integrity and people make sure that you've got their back, right? Like again, these, Everything I'm talking about is you could learn in kindergarten, right? Like, <laughs> let's be honest, right? The golden rule kind of thing. But, but again, simple concepts, 
hard to execute on because we are dealt with we are dealt these hands day in and day out where it, it these decisions are not as clear they're much more muddy they're very gray but every single piece of research that you look at today says if you want to hire people and keep people you have to pay them fairly so that's you know the reality is as hard as that may be that's really a non-negotiable so if your business model cannot operate while you pay people fairly then you need to take another look at your business model and and look at you know something is off somewhere because you know you should be able to pay people a livable wage but the reality is if you don't then they just won't work for you anymore and right. so your your model then will need to turn into you're essentially a staffing firm because you're going to have 60% turnover and you're just going to be hiring 60% of your staff all every year and so and some of those models might work for certain organizations certain industries um, they don't work in mine uh, because we're uh, you know we're we're heavy on the uh, on the training requirements and the and we have a lot of thought leadership in our organization so we need we need to pay people fairly we need to make sure we keep people um, so those are the kind of the the big buckets that I would say to focus on and then I would say where you know where it makes sense um, you know focus on your systems your structures uh, that that support your individuals uh, the other thing I would say okay. I might sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here. I hate bureaucracy. Okay. Like bureaucracy kills progress. And so mm -hmm. it's, you know, where you might have a bunch of archaic old policies and procedures that may or may not make sense, where you can eliminate some of this, this rigidity and structure and allow for kind of this entrepreneurial feel in an organization or allow for some, for systems to be more nimble. Um, you know, I, I would, I'm a strong advocate that you don't need a policy for everything. You need a lot of times policies are written for the like one percent of people that intentionally screw things up. You know, you should if you write a policy, it should be written for the ninety nine percent of people that are trying to do the right thing. Um, and you need some to follow, you know, regulatory requirements. But but you don't need two hundred page handbooks that nobody reads. <laughs> There's that rebel kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I and if just it, want to remind everybody that Kyle is going to be speaking at the May 17th Ivy Sales Innovation Summit being held uh, on the campus of Iowa State University. Again, you can go to www.ivybusiness.iastate.edu. If you want to find out more about CIRRUS, Center for Industrial Research and Service, which is the Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program, here in the state of Iowa, you can visit us at cirrus.iastate.edu. And uh, closing comments, uh, Kyle, as you gear up for the 17th, um, closing comments to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I again, I just sincerely appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you and 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 you know, kind of share share my perspective with with the listeners. Um, you know, I. I think that if I could sum anything up uh, from from our conversation, you know, just stay open-minded, maintain an abundance mindset, and stay focused on opportunities. Um, you know, we it's it's a difficult environment right now as it relates to workforce, but it's not any problem that we can't figure out together. And I truly, as I look at at Iowa and I look at the backbone of Iowa, it is industry, it's agriculture and industry. Um, as well as, you know, healthcare and some other really key, key industries. But, but it's, you know, this is the lifeblood of Iowa and we can solve this together. We've just got to make sure that, that we come together and, and solve this, 
collaboratively and and you know the organizations that figure out how to solve the talent problem and do this in a way that that does uh, engage and retain their employees they're gonna they're gonna win they're gonna be successful and I truly believe that that uh, in the state of Iowa and in the Midwest we've got the right uh, we've, we've got the right talent here we just need to make sure we're engaging it in the right way all right thank you hey you've been listening to industry Iowa we'll catch you on the next episode thanks again thanks Steve